listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. And on today's episode, we have a studio owner and a musician from right here in Rhinebeck, New York, right here where we taped The Rick Z Show. I'm talking about, of course, Chris Winham. Chris, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Well, thanks for having me. We go way back. We'll talk about some of that in a while. But let's start with your studio. Your studio, Project North, is that still a working studio? Is that a commercial studio? It's still a working studio, but I, it, as, as far as being a commercial studio, I don't do a lot of sessions for hire. You know, it's more like we do a lot of sessions uh, for FlickTracks.com, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of my own work for my own uh, cues that I work on for flick tracks as well but occasionally you know I'll do a session here and there I remember back in the day you were doing it a lot you had a lot of bands in there I I recorded in there myself in fact there were only two area studios or at least two Rhinebeck studios I knew of that were really even doing anything under the shadow of the big imperial ship the clubhouse (laughs) where all the big names went and I don't know how anyone could survive next to that but you guys did well because you guys did a lot of work and when I say you guys I mean you and also your brother Baird he had a studio called the trees does he still have that studio the trees is pretty much uh, you know defunct as, as as far as I know he pretty much just does his own stuff too now at this point and sort of dabbles around you know yeah well you guys both had the temperament for this kind of thing I mean I I worked in Baird's studio as well you guys have a good sense of humor and you're laid back and you've got good ears you're good engineers that's why people work there that's why I worked there I think Baird used an ADAT format I think he even mixed to VHS it was back in those days if I'm not mistaken it's hard to remember because all this is going back so far now yeah yeah yeah, you know. I mean, I used ADATs for a while. Um, you did? Yeah, I did. That that was how I started my studio, was with ADATs. You know, they they were the format, you know, some people swear by them, other people swear at them. Well, nowadays we swear at Pro Tools. <laughs> you know, digital equipment is glitchy, and to fix it is like, well, you don't know what's wrong with it. You can't diagnose it. A mechanical tape machine or something like that, you can see, oh, look at this. This lever's broken. we got to fix this. You, you know what's wrong with it. Yeah. So well, there's advantages and disadvantages. To I, I think for me, I use Pro Tools. I use Logic. When I'm doing stuff with other people, like uh, session work, I'll probably use Pro Tools because that's pretty much what everybody expects you to have. Yeah, that's pretty you know. standard. And and but for me, when I'm just doing my own stuff, I pretty much use Logic because I just like the way Logic works better than Pro Tools. And, I did the the weirdest stuff in your studio. I have to say, I'm just kind of projecting back now. It's all coming back to me now. I'd loved that space. It was a great space. Well, a friend of mine bought me like an hour of studio time as a present. And I was doing some other project in your studio at the time. One hour wasn't very much. Yeah. So we made an album on the spot. We called it Summer at Grandma's. By the, <laughs> We called ourselves the Malt Liquor Babies. I think I remember that. Some now. idiotic yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I remember that. We made a whole album in an hour, which I don't advise. <laughs> we we did a lot of stuff. We we worked with uh, the Tim Wilkie band in your studio. Now the Tim Wilkie band was a band you and I were both in. You you originally were the musical director, right? This I remember is... that the studio that I have now, which I've had for for like you know more than twenty years. I, I'm guessing that's the one that you're talking about because I did move around a couple of different. It's like, Project days. North. Back going back to the Tim Wilkie days. I mean, I just had like you know a, a little a little studio master board down in the basement he used to like you know basically haul a bunch of uh you know pa gear around to his gigs and stuff and 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 tim really didn't know much about like uh 
you know, setting up mics and amps and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of needed somebody to, to help him out with that, and that was what I did, you know, for him. Basically. For for the listeners that don't know Tim Wilkie, and there's really no reason why you would, because as far as I know, he hasn't done music in, you know, 25 years or something like that. I have no idea where he is. But Tim, if you're listening, you're just a crazy man. Uh, and <laughs> I, I mean that with great affection. But there was always a lot of chaos that uh, swirled around Tim, and there must have been 30 members of his band because he was either firing them or they were running for their lives or (laughs) something like that. Now, you were the musical director of this seven-piece band uh, initially, and then at some point... Tim appointed me musical director. My wife was in the band, and we were working out all these vocal arrangements. And I don't know why he appointed me to the job you already had. Do you remember that happening, and were you pissed? Well, that was such a long time ago, and I don't think I was pissed because I remember towards the end of that whole uh, thing, I kind of wanted to get out because, you know, I was charging Tim. and um, He he never paid me. Well, you know, the thing is that, like, uh, I didn't really feel good about it. Because I knew he didn't have a lot of money, and you know, I knew that the other guys in the band weren't getting paid and stuff, and and it just it's, it felt a little awkward, basically, you know, to be like, you know, asking for money to to do the same thing that basically other people were showing up to do for free, you know. So I I just, you know, I kind of felt a little weird about it, but you know, it yeah, it just it it wasn't it wasn't something that I, I really felt I wanted to do for for like a long time, you know, so. By the time I you took over, I was probably happy to be out of it, to be honest with you. Well, I'm not too happy to hear that I did all the work of the musicians <laughs> and the musical director and got nothing. This is... We came to your well, it, studio. It wasn't to... a lot of money. Frick. It, okay, it was, all right. It was a little bit of money, you know. It was, uh, I it was like, you know, I can't remember. I think he paid me like something like, you know. I think it was like 25 bucks every time we got together or something. That's like not that. bad. It, well, it, you know, it made it worth going to rehearsal, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, whatever. Yeah, it yeah. was an interesting time. We did a, a session at your studio with Tim. He always had a lot of pie in the sky. There was um, some soundtrack we were working on for Columbia Pictures or something, and it turned out to be the biggest direct-to-video film disaster in history or something like that. And and it never ended up getting put out. We I remember that too. Yeah, ended, ended up yeah. doing nothing. It, it was called Hero, right? Yeah, that's right. That's the one. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, Hero. I, I think I still have that. I, on that somewhere, probably. I think that's yeah. the same session where we did the Malt Liquor Baby Summer at Grandma's. Well, I got to go looking for that because if I, I'd like to find that Malt Liquor. I don't know if you that, that summer at Grandma's. I think that'd be worth finding. I'll give you a copy. Yeah. Okay. I I don't know if you remember this, but there's an another area band called Otis and Melvin. Before they were Otis and Melvin, and they're doing really well. They just had a new album come out. It's called High on Cake. It's funny stuff. Uh, They're really good. And they did a project before they were known as Otis and Melvin. They did a project at Project North, and they brought an audience with them to be interactive with the recording. I I think the recording was called Camping in the Bathroom. You know, if they weren't called Otis and Melvin at the time, then I I would be hard to, to figure out who they were. But, you know, there were so many that came and went. That back then it was like in the early days. I remember there was ska was really big. Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. Ska was really big, and I remember there was a lot of ska bands that were like playing down at the Rhinecliff Hotel and stuff. And there was this one band called Lettuce Boy, and they were one of the first bands that ever came in and and made a record in Project North. They were called Lettuce Boy, and and uh, I still have all their stuff, you know, <laughs> on. Uh, 
I think they actually made a record. Actually, you know, the, not every band that comes in actually makes a record. You know, a vinyl record. I think so. Yeah, that guy from Lettuce Boy still lives in Rhinebeck. You were part of a long-forgotten movement. So was I. Original music in the Hudson Valley between '90 and '95. I'll say that was all I remember of any original music going on. I'm talking about bands like Go Van Go. Yeah. The Rick Z Band uh, was sure. one of them. Little Giant was another band I was in. There was Conehead Buddha and Third Ram and I guess Lettuce Boy was, was on the list, and a Strange yep, yep. Arrangement and Perfect Thyroid, and a band you were in called Countless Others. Yeah, Countless Others was, that was the era, uh, in the same time period, basically. Uh, that was uh, me and Chris Davidson, Jamie Davidson, both the Davidson brothers, and then we had an assortment of drummers that would come and go, you know, uh, you know how drummers are, sometimes they just yep. explode on stage. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you see Spinal Tap, it's all true. It's, it's all pretty true. much all true, yeah. yeah. But that was the time period of Countless Others, and, and that was also the time period, I'm sure that you remember, of, of the heyday of the Ryan Hotel. The Rhinecliff Hotel, just a staple of music in this particular area, in this central part of the Hudson Valley. If you were a musician, you played at the Rhinecliff Hotel, or you were nowhere. That was the place to be. I want to do yeah. a whole show on the Rhinecliff Hotel. I mean, let's put it this way. There's a band called God Street Wine, which is pretty famous. I mean, they're, they're, they're not like, you know... Hugely famous, but they're they're regionally pretty, famous. pretty regionally uh, well well you know they're doing well. Yeah, they got famous basically by playing at the Rhinecliff Hotel. That's how they did it. Suddenly, there was like a thousand people showing up at the Rhinecliff Hotel to see God Street Wine, and it was a thing. You know, it was like I, I'd never seen anything like that. I remember that. I, I don't remember seeing any other bands that that had that kind of turnout. But boy, when those guys played there, it was just like it was a madhouse. Now, how long did countless others stay together? I would say different iterations of the band about, oh, maybe four or five years. Mm -hmm. you know, eventually, uh, a guy named Nelson Bragg, who uh, is now the percussion player for uh, Brian Wilson, by the way. Yeah, he um, he joined our band for a little while. And that was when we sort of like really had our, our most momentum that we ever had, was when Nelson was playing with us. And uh, he played with us for about a year or so, I guess. And uh, that was right around, uh, if you remember, the, the, the Woodstock 25-year anniversary. Remember that? 25 years ago. Yeah, and and uh, that was right when we were had our most momentum going. And, and uh, you know, after that, it, it, we were really hoping to get on that stage, but we never did. And yeah, so we kind of we kind of fizzled after that. Uh, that was kind of the heyday, I'd say, for countless others. That back back in that that uh, good old Woodstock '94 ruined many a uh, local band. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. it's like oh, we didn't make it. Oh, forget. Okay, oh, we're done. We're done. <laughs> we're gonna disband and all play with Brian Wilson someday. Yeah, right, right. You know, I remember back in the day talking to you about countless others. I liked the sound. It had that kind of alternative sound, something you'd hear on like WDST and. Woodstock, that kind of music, and there was a, an album put out by uh, Nick Harcourt. Remember, yes, Nick Harcourt was a DJ at Woodstock uh, Radio at the time. That year, they put out this record called Alternative Woodstock, which had a selection from a lot of different bands in the area. We did get onto that at that time when you guys were playing. I remember asking you, you know, what are some of the bands that influenced you with this kind of music? I guess I was an interviewer even back then without knowing it. You said to me, The Happy Mondays. Do you remember that? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the Happy Mondays, that was the kind of, uh, you know, that Manchester, like, acid house kind of sound yeah. that we were going for. It was a little bit more hard rock. That was kind of what we were shooting for after it came out. So we were sort of morphing ourselves at the time to get to a more sort of grooving acid house kind of sound like the Happy Mondays have. I was a keyboard player. You know, so it was it was kind of we're moving in that direction, you know. Well, now I, I'm just all in the mood to hear some countless others. Can we hear something? We can. Let, let's play something right now. It's the magic of podcasts.
from quite a musical family. I didn't realize how musical, though. I, I knew about you. I knew about your brother, Baird. But I didn't know your dad was a musician. Tell me a little bit about his music. Yeah, my dad was a composer of classical music. He was. Uh, he died when he was very young, but he had, had written his sonata for orchestra, and um, there was three movements of it. He never finished the third movement, so we've never been able to get that one properly recorded. But we have the first and second movements recorded, and uh, he we, he also wrote several other uh, you know really great um, classical pieces, composition for orchestra, and he wrote these really great variations on Jingle Bells, uh, the, the the theme by James Pierpont. He uh, he wrote these piano variations on Jingle Bells, which are really awesome. You know, he was just a really really incredible composer and that nobody really knows about, unfortunately, because he died so young. You know, he was 35, 36, I think, when he died. Well, why don't we give him a little exposure while we're at it? Because great musicians that don't get their due, it really annoys me. Uh, is there something we can play by your dad? Yes, I think we have something here. I'd like to play, if we could, the second movement from the Sonata for Orchestra, if you have that. Okay, let's listen.
Wow, just great. Now, you just went to Seattle, I think you mentioned, uh, before we started taping. You were telling me about going out to Seattle with your mom. That was a really interesting story. Would you recount that for the audience? Yeah, well, the the thing is that we had recordings of the first movement for Sonata for orchestra and the second movement that were actually done over at the Fisher Center by... Uh, the, the, the Bard College. Yeah, the Bard College with, with Leon conducting. You know, it was good and everything, but it, it wasn't like, you know, they never got a chance to, like, actually rehearse the music and, and do it the way it's supposed to be done. They just did it off the cuff, and, you know, a couple of run-throughs, and bang, they did it. So it really wasn't the way it's supposed to sound. It, it, it sounded good, but it didn't sound really correct. And we knew of a guy who, whose name's Joel Subin, who's a conductor, who's a good friend of my mom's. He had conducted the music in in uh, in Poland with a Polish orchestra. It wasn't as proficient as the uh, as the American Symphony obviously, but they were they, he had a better feel, you know. He just he seemed to understand the music better than than Leon did. Um, nothing against Leon, but um, it, it was just, you know, we weren't really happy with, with the way it sounded. So we got Joel to uh, hire these these guys from the uh, Seattle uh, Philharmonic, and they, they do a lot of work in this place called the Bastille. They go there to do all kinds of film and TV music. You know, they do stuff, orchestral stuff for, for movies, and it's a, it's a really uh, top-notch outfit that, uh, you know, they, they do top-of-the-line stuff. And so we were able to go in there, and get these guys to do multiple takes and, and you know, get it just right. So, and what was that like, listening to your dad's music uh, that way? It, it was a very, very sort of fulfilling thing, and a very, it just gave me a lot of joy because uh, I, I just think it's really good stuff, for one thing, and um, it's so worth it. I mean, I do a lot of music for, for advertising, you know, and yeah. uh, a lot of music for, for, like, little cues for, like, uh, s- some crappy little ad or something that, that I, it doesn't really, you know, give you the satisfaction, like, yeah, wow, that was really great, you know, man, uh, that, that really brought out the substance of my, of my inner being, you know, <laughs> that, that plotting baseline really, really did it for me, no, it, right. so it was kind of like the opposite end of that spectrum, it was like, this, this music is really, uh, I just feel it, you know, it's, I hope it gets heard more often. We're going to we're going to release a CD eventually with either just my dad's music or my dad's music and some other uh composer's music that you know fits in with the same genre. Great. You know, uh if we can, but uh we're still working on it. I'm still doing the editing and trying to get the mastering done. So it's the the project is almost done, but it's not quite done yet. And uh I'm also doing it cuz it's kind of like a bucket list for my mom, you know. She's Oh, sure. Three, you know, so she uh I'm doing it for her too as well. You know, Chris, in this day and age where we have lots of home studios, this is the era of the home studios. You can make a whole album on your phone nowadays. Mm-hmm. Is that something that contributed to not being a commercial studio, not being open for a lot of commercial work? Is it, It's just difficult to find oh, yeah, work. Yeah, for $200, you could pretty much have a studio yeah. in, in, your, in your laptop. You know, I mean, you didn't have microphones necessarily, and you still had to get speakers and stuff to, to monitor it through. But you didn't really have to get, like, you know, a 32-channel board anymore. And you didn't have to have moving fader automation. 
you didn't have to have whole huge racks full of all kinds of effects in the gear and, 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 and the heat treated glass and the vacuum sealed studio specs and gigantic drum room and all this stuff you, well, it's, you didn't it's need nice that. to have that 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 kind of stuff is good to have because it's still nice but you still got to be able to, to to set up microphones okay it's it's easier now than it was all right but there's still there never is going to be a complete separation from reality into virtual instruments and stuff like yeah, that. Studios are yeah. still the best way to go, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still do a ton of work in my studio. I just don't use nearly as many tracks. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it used to be you'd have 32 tracks and you'd, be, they'd, you'd see them moving around and stuff and you... And you had, I have moving fader automation on my board, and back then, man, that was the shit, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if it's okay to say that on, on, uh, on the air. This but, isn't you know, PBS. Okay, but anyway, you know, and we were like, wow, that's incredible, man. Look, at the faders were moving all the time, and, and, you know, but now I don't even use my moving fader automation anymore at all because it's all inside the box, you know? If you do an automation move, you're, you're doing it on your, on, your, on your DAW, you know, which is digital audio workstation for those who don't know what that means. Well, also, you found alternative ways of making money, and I'm very interested in this, staying still in the music uh, milieu, is a business that you and a couple other gentlemen started called Flick Tracks. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Flick Tracks was, uh, you know, in in the music business, uh, you kind of have to reinvent yourself every, like, 10 years or so, and... uh, I'm about 10 years overdue <laughs> for my next reinvention. But it's it's a music licensing thing. And, you know, I was saying before about how we, we do a lot. I do a lot of music for advertising. It's not the most rewarding thing in the world. It's a way of, of you know, making money and stuff. If, if you're not like, you know, I'm 58 years old, you know, well, actually 59. I'm not like really holding out like really like large hopes for, for being the next big pop star right now. You know what I mean? So basically, um, you know, you, you want to try to find a different way to make money in the industry. And, and what we got into was music licensing. And that's basically just uh, licensing out music for film, TV, advertising, any kind of music. It, it could be vocal music. It could be instrumental music. But you know, And who are you doing this with? I'm doing this with my good friend Chris Davison and my other good friend Pat Finnegan. And... Um, and Jamie Davison is also involved. He does a lot of the tech work for us. Some yeah. great, well-known area musicians. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Chris D's been playing in this area for you know everybody knows him. He's yep. he's basically the organizer of the Porch Fest thing, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Without him, I don't know that it would even happen. Porch right? Fest, by the way, uh, for those who don't know, is a fairly recent annual musical festival right here in Rhinebeck. It's fantastic if you get a chance once a year. It's fun to walk up and down the street and hear these bands play. Yeah, and they're all just like, it, it kind of brings back the old days of, like you were saying before, about like original music, although most of those bands will be going to be playing cover tunes. But uh, but I'll be there and, playing my original music. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, it's, he's just, he was in Countless Others with me, and uh, I've known him my whole life, basically, ever since I graduated from college, basically. I've run across Chris so many times, and we always marvel at the fact that we've never worked together, because we've been side by side doing the same thing. We've been each other's competition all this time, really, stealing gigs from each other and whatnot and we've never actually done anything together and and you know we have a lot of great affection for each other and i, I love chris I and you guys really should do something together we should I, I know that that you know his style and i know your style 
And I think that you guys would be really, really good together. I got to get him on the show too. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's kind of a Rhinebeck icon, you know. I know some people that do licensing as well. I don't know if you know George Mataloni, good friend of mine, has a studio up in Ankrum. He's from Red Hook, and he does music licensing. He he doesn't own the business or or start his own business. He just puts stuff up. He does uh, soundscapes, I right, guess you right, call sure. them. Do you make soundscapes? I do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. We have like over a thousand contributors at FlickTracks.com, so we really, we literally have like I don't know, some something like seventy-five thousand tracks. So, it's it's just a huge library uh, of music. There's there's every kind of music you can possibly imagine. We got vocal music, EDM, blues, rock, thrash, calypso, and everything you can possibly imagine. And and when you go to FlickTracks.com, we have the really good search tools, so you can find exactly what you're looking for. You know, so you can search by mood and by genre. You can look for a particular composer that you might like. You you can, you know, and then you can put in keywords to like you know narrow down your search even further. So because that's what you know like the TV pros, the guys that do this and that and that like you know are music supervisors for shows. They can't be bothered to be looking through sixty thousand tracks. They they got to be able to find this stuff real quick. So you got to have really good uh, tools for them to narrow down there. Can you show me a soundscape that you worked on? I'd like to hear something you did. Uh, yeah, sure. I think I brought a couple here. Let's take a listen to one.
the very first session person I ever hired for a project of mine. This is going back, I don't know, 1987, 1988? At the clubhouse? At the clubhouse yes. when they were up in Germantown, New right, York. Right, right. I remember that. You're a nice guy. Uh, you're a wonderful musician. Well, thank I, you. I that was not, that. That was not <laughs> the only time I hired you to play on a, a track of mine. I always respected your playing and really liked you as a person. Always had a great sense of humor. Always a, had a great time recording at Project North with you. Thanks for coming on today, Chris, and, and yeah, hanging out. Yeah, we should out. have worked more, you know. I mean, I know. It's, it's like, uh, I still got the studio, Rick, so you know what? If if you want to come in and do some work, you know what? I'd love to I'd love to work with you again. Thank you, Chris. I'd love to work with you again, too. And thanks for being here. Thanks for coming and, and chatting with us today. And thank you for having me. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Come back next week, and I promise we'll have some new and exciting episode for you, and we'll see you then. Music